you use for your Bible, and let's make this as a confession. Hold it up in the air and say it out loud. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I do what it tells me to do. And I love my Bible. So I make this as a confession. I will meditate therein day and night, Monday through Friday, a chapter in the morning and a chapter in the evening. And because I do, my life is blessed. It's no more a mess. Now everything I touch, everything I touch, it turns to success. If you believe that, shout hallelujah. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, all of us together agree as touching this moment, this message, this service. We're agreeing, asking you that revelation knowledge will flow freely and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. We're asking you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open and receptive to your word. Your word indeed is a line unto our path and a a line unto our path. And we pray that you'll shine that word so bright in our hearts that we not miss it to the right or to the left. And we covenant to give you and you only all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. All that agree with that prayer said, amen, amen, amen. You all may be seated. Thank you. If you would, I want you to open with me in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Last time I was with you, we were talking about being faithful to finish, and uh, we're still in the midst of that series. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. How many of you all know in the perspective of eternity, this life that we live is very, very short? Amen. And as a result of this life being so short, you know, you got to get your job done. There was a reason for which you were born. Amen. And so you want to finish what you were put on the planet to accomplish. Amen. Finish your life purpose. Paul acknowledges that the time of his departure was close. And then in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Notice he indicates that he was in a race, and in this life, there is this amazing race that we have to run. Amen? This life could be compared to a course or a race. And when we are born, we begin on a path to fulfill our life's purpose, the reason for which we exist. Amen? Well, Paul said, I fought a good fight in this life. I'm close to the end of my life. I know the time of my departure is at hand, but you know, I believe I finished my race. How many of y'all at the end of your life want to say you finish what God put you on this planet to do? He goes on to say in verse number eight, he says, finally, brethren, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Well, notice he said, I'm getting my crown. Amen. And at the end of this life, we ought to look forward to the rewards that come in the next in eternal life. And and Paul says specifically, I am there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness whom the Lord, the righteousness shall give me on that day. But not only to me only, but to to everybody, everybody gets a crown, kind of like in soccer and little league. Come on, somebody where everybody gets a trophy. Is that what Paul said here? No. He said it's not for just for everybody. Notice what he says, verse 8. He says, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but to, but also to all, he didn't stop right there, but to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, for everybody else that loves God like I love God, how do you love God, Paul? I love God more than anything. And I love more love God more than everything. I love my God more than anything. I love God more than everybody, anybody. Amen. And and there shall also then be a, a crown for you at the end of this life. So last week or the week before that, we talked about this amazing race. And we're going to pick up today going in another direction. He says, um, he says, not only to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. So in this series, um, it's not just another series. I believe this is a prophetic message from God. I believe it's what God is saying for this year, for this season that we're in, to be faithful to finish. I believe the message I receive from the Lord for faith family, those that see me as their pastor or one in spiritual authority, I believe with all of my heart that we're supposed to focus on finishing. God started something, and he wants us to focus on finishing it. Amen. Finish what? Finish the race. Not just the race in general. Finish your race. Amen. Finish your purpose. My assignment today, two things, is to challenge you to run to win. That's the title. Run to win. Secondly, my assignment is to show you from the Word of God three things that will cause you to not finish your race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one person receives the prize. How many of y'all know that? In the Olympics, there's only one gold medal, right? For, for whatever track and field event, in, in the Olympics for swimming, there's only one winner of that event. There might be a, a runner-up, silver. There might be a third-place position, you know, third. And there, there might be consolation prizes for others, but only one wins, wins that race. He says, well, do you not know that those that run in a race, they all run, all of them are running, but only one gets the prize. So he says, run, this is the New King James Version, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Paul is telling you and I, by the Holy Ghost, to run our race in a way that we can obtain the prize. Amen. Verse 23, uh, verse 25. He says, and everyone who, com- who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to, establish, uh, to obtain a perishable crown, 
but we do it for an imperishable crown. Notice he's talking about a crown again. First time we saw it was in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, there's going to be a crown for me. Now in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 9, he says, there's going to be a crown for me. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all know after this life, there are, uh, there are rewards that we're supposed to get? Amen. He says, they, um, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. We do it for an imperishable one. Verse 26. Therefore, because of this, because there's a race to run and a crown to receive, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He said, because there's a race for me to run and a crown for me to receive, I run like this. Run like what? I run with certainty, not with uncertainty. I run with precision. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not beating the air. Come on. I'm making every thing count. I like how the New Living Translation says this. The New Living of verse 26 says, so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I mean, you know, my boys, uh, we take them over to the track at a, at a middle school um, right in the neighborhood on Longenbaugh. And actually, it's on West. And, um, you know, they, they're kind of demonstrative. And they I, obviously, they saw somebody line up on the block. And so, you know, come on, Daddy, we want to race. And so they'll get on the line, and they just don't get on the line, you know. They want to get down on the line, you know, kick the leg. I mean, kick the leg out, get down on your mark, get set, go. You know, just six and four years old, you know, they're going to race. Amen. And those that are in track and field and, and, you know, have run competitively, everything counts. You know, I swam. And so how you, how you launch off the diving block, right, the starting block, could determine whether you win or lose the race. Just your starting point, right? And not only that, and, and I've learned this, you know, you watch folks like Usain Bolt, you know, fastest man, you know, just very impressive. I don't know who's the fastest now, but very, very impressive. To those guys, every step is important. They may start out pump their arms with their head down for the first, you know, certain amount of yards. And then after a while, they'll put, y'all got to help me now. Why y'all look so, so calm and so quiet? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They'll start out and they'll do this. And they'll get their head. And then all of a sudden, and then they, you can't look to the left. Come on, you can't turn and look. I mean, they keep their eyes focused. What are they trying to do? They're trying to run to win. He says, that's what I, I run with purpose. In every step, boom, 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 right? And that's how at every phase, at every age of your life, you need to be so focused on what it is God puts you here on the planet so that you can accomplish it, so that you can finish your race. In boxing, I wouldn't ask for hands because that's just like a violent sport. Oh, no, I'm looking at fella. My eyes just happen to fell. I don't even know if he liked boxing or not. Oh, but I could, you know, the movies, they got boxing in movies, and I guess Creed 3 is coming out. Uh, we saw the, the preview of it. it. It looks really impressive. I'm not recommending it. You know, that's not a Christian movie. Uh, you, do what you got to do. Amen. Amen. 
But, you know, the idea in this movie, you got these two fighters, you know, Rocky and now Creed and so forth. From what I understand, I'm not like, you know, but the people that judge boxing, they look at how many punches were landed. Right. And there's a guy he could throw the most punches, but it's not how many punches you don't get points for punches that you throw. You get points for punches that you land. And you know, if you're up against an opponent and you're landing in every spot, everyone counts. That's how you're going to win. So that's what Paul says. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow buyer. I ain't playing with this. Amen. In life, we, have, we need to have that same kind of focus and that same kind of precision with what it is that God's given us. Amen. Verse 24 says, New Living Translation, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. I want you to say that out loud. Run to to win. When you talk, the Bible talks about running. I'm just going to look at that because that's my assignment is just to show you to run to win. I mean, you know, uh, in in your marriage, you have to fight for your marriage, right? In, on on your job, you have to fight to you know for your job. You know, there's things that come at you. That, that, there's the economy, people that want your position, all that. And you need in in every area of life, financially, amen. In, in every as a parent, you need to fight to believe that your children are going to be raised and not be lost to this world. Right? So in every area, you've got to run to win in that area with extreme focus. Run indicates a sense of urgency. Do you know what I mean by a sense of urgency? How many have ever been in a little bit of a hurry to get somewhere and you had planned to stop somewhere to get some fast food? But for whatever reason, fast food today is not fast food. (laughs) I mean, you thought, oh, cool. There's nobody in the drive-thru, right? (laughs) I could pull right up, right? I I could get my order in, but man, you are like, oh my gosh, what are they doing in there, right? And especially don't be where you went in to get it. You know, there's been times where I'm in a hurry, so I see the line outside. I say, I'm going to go inside. There's nobody there. I walk up to the counter. They don't even say, how may I help you today, which is the kind of pet peeve for me. Oh, come on, somebody. You know, you walk in the door, welcome to Fred's. All right, that's good. And you walk up, and then they just looking at you, and you looking at them, and you looking at they're looking at you, and you looking at them, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not gonna say nothing until you address me properly. <laughs> oh, now I know I'm not the only one. How may I help you today? <laughs> yes, thank you, man. I'm a number one to go. And they're punching around. Now you're in a hurry, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, have you ever seen somebody that's not moving with a sense of urgency? It could be kind of agitated. I, I believe some of us, spiritually, to our angels, maybe even to the Father God, he's looking at how much time we have left, and he recognizes we're not moving with a sense of urgency. And so he sent me here today, come on somebody, to tell you to run to win. In other words, move with a sense of urgency. Pastor Stan, why would you walk to over 800 homes? You're the senior pastor of the church. Yeah, but I'm in love with God. 
Amen. I had the time. I was able to get up and go out. I want this event to be successful. I believe there's going to be. I remember when we first started the church, I would stand on the street and hand out flyers. I remember there are people that were become a part of the church and now have gone on to heaven that came as a result of a flyer that I gave them personally. Amen. Now, I encourage you to run for God. Amen. I'm not going to you know, run run against you. I'm not going to run for you. I'm going to run with you. Amen. Amen. If you just pass out eight flies, praise God. You did something for God. Amen. And, and you know, who, who knows who will respond to that, be born again, family saved, something good happened in their life just because of a simple invitation. Right? So I exhort all of us, run for God and run to win. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If I were to ask the question, how many of you all believe that Jesus is coming soon? I do believe that. And, you know, there's a lot of people that need to be saved. Amen. We don't have all day as a church to win this world for Jesus. Here it says, uh, <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible has a lot to talk about running and races. He says, therefore, verse 1, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with patience or run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice he says, run. Let us run. Everybody say run. Now he's encouraging us. Therefore, seeing that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside stuff that would slow us down. How many of y'all know people that run in a marathon, people that run races, swim races, people that are on the field, they cut it down to the minimums in order to have no hindrances. You never see a basketball player out on the court in his warm-ups in the fourth quarter. Come on. Not on the court, right? Amen. They are out there in what only is necessary to get the job done. And he tells us in the church to lay aside stuff that's slowing you down from running the race that is set before. Who set this race before you? God set a race before you. God gave you a race to run. Most people, most Christians, I'm not just talking about people, but I believe most people live and die and not fulfill, most Christians live and die and not fulfill their, their kingdom purpose. They don't know the reason for which they were born on the planet. And as a result, they, don't, they, they just kind of meander through life and come what may and look back after it was all done and, you know, think that we had more time. Amen. He says, let us run with endurance. There is a difference between running with patience. The King James says patience. And the, uh, um, the New King James says endurance. You know, you think run with patience is kind of like, you know, a slow run, right? Well, that, he didn't say jog with patience. He said run with patience. The better translation really is endurance. How many of you know if you run a marathon at the rate of a sprint, you're not going to finish the race? I got a couple nods and a few rights. Isn't that right? 
So he's talking about run with endurance. Run with whatever it takes for you to make it to the finish line. If it's a 100-yard dash, then you do whatever you need to do, have enough that you need to have in order to get to that finish line. If you're in a 26.1-mile marathon, then you make sure you're tracking your pace, you're counting your strokes, you're counting your movements, you're keeping track of your laps, and make sure you get to the end. Amen? Now, patience doesn't imply just a casual walk. Notice in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11 and 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, the Navy SEALs have a statement, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. At the end of the day, slow is fast. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. How many of you know if you have to do something twice, it's taking longer than it would be if you just did it once? And sometimes if you need to slow down to get it right, I believe he's saying be accurate, right? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knows not his time as, not, as the fishes that are taken in the evil net, and as the birds are caught in the snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. This scripture came up in my heart. How many have ever heard the Bible say the race is not given to the swift? That doesn't mean run slow. Right? It just means be accurate. In other words, it's like it's not about shadow boxing. It's about being, you know, connecting in every point. Say it out loud. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. So slow is fast when you get it right. Amen? Amen. The, the second part of that is to run with endurance. 1 Corinthians 9, 26, we looked at it. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. That's being intentional. That's being conscientious. Then look over, if, if you would, at the book of Luke chapter 2. I'll have to quote it for the sake of time. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus said this. He said unto them, why do you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? You all know the story. Twelve-year-old Jesus was left behind. They're on a road trip. Mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, find out, hey, I thought you had them. No, I didn't have them. Have you ever been there? It's kind of like that. They left them for three days. I thought you grabbed a basket. You know, no, I thought you had it. Oh, okay, well, now we got to circle back, go back to the house and get it, right? How many of you have been there? Well, they left Jesus back in Jerusalem, and they get a day's journey, and so they had to turn around and hoof back into the city, and they're looking for him everywhere. They finally, after three days, somebody say three days, they catch up with Jesus, and he's in the temple talking with the doctors of the law and asking questions. And when they finally find him, he looks at them. <laughs> my nephew, you, you're 12 years old, right? All right, stand up. Everybody give him a hand clap. Handsome young man. That's a good-looking guy right there. Nice fade. You know, them young people, man. They, I'm trying to be young. Come on. You, you can be seated. Amen. So imagine my nephew, Carol, 12 years old, 
Mom and dad finally find him after three days. How many of y'all would be a wreck? After three days, find him and listen to Jesus' response. It's almost smart mouth. No, you put yourself in the position and you ask your children, you ask your child, you know, well, why did you do us like this? And your son says, why did you look for me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Boy, if you wasn't the son of God. Oh. <laughs> Who are you talking to like that? I got a four-year-old. He got, you know, kind of smart at the mouth. And said, if you lie, you don't talk to me. I'm your dad. <laughs> He's like, why did you? And they said, why did you do us like that? He's like, well, why did you do that? Why are you looking? Why are you looking all over? You didn't know I was in Jerusalem. You didn't know I was at the temple. What you doing over at the play yard? What you doing at the grocery store? What you doing at the mall? You didn't know that I must be about my father's business? What am I saying? Even as a teenager, some of the great men of God were used at an early age. They identified God's hand is on my life. I've got a call of God upon my life. My life is more than working at IBM or AT&T or working in the, the energy corridor or working for some wealth management corporation. I've got a kingdom purpose. It's not just about making money in the world, having a nice house and setting up a good retirement. There's somebody's life that needs to be saved and there's a purpose for my existence. Somebody say it out loud. I have a kingdom purpose. That's for real. He said, I must be about my father's business. You know what that indicates? That indicates his sense of urgency at 12. Nothing between 12 and 30 happened. Notable that we see and know just development. But even we see just a glimpse at an early age. I must be about my father's business. There was another indicator in the book of John chapter 9, he's now started his ministry, and uh, he's ministering in one place. And in verse 4 of John chapter 9, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long, Verse 5 says in the first part, as long as I am in the world. These are the things that motivated me to walk to 800 different houses. And, you know, while I'm out there, it was so easy because I got to walk across. This is the punch hole that comes out of the door hanger that, that you put on the door. 800, 355 on one day, 105. The boys went me on, with, with me on the day I did 105. They slowed me down. Come on. We only got to 105 that day. And then 340 just the other day. I must work the works of him that sent me. Are, are you? He said... Keep the fire burning. Are you on fire for God? Amen. I am. And, and, and God is kindling that fire on the inside of us. The night is coming. I don't know if you get that. The time is short. And as long as I'm in this world, I'm going to be wide open. I'm going to be all out. Amen. There is no quit. In me, one of the things I loved about my dad, I never saw him quit. Fifty-five years married, never quit on my mom. Mom never quit on my dad. Fifty, almost fifty-five years in the ministry, never quit on God. Mama said he came home every night, at least when he was in town. 
You know, of course, he would go overseas preaching the gospel, stuff like that. But he always came home. And that was her testimony after all of those years. That's the example. Yeah, I set up stuff. I break down stuff. I work. Why? I must work the works. Do I want to? No, I'd rather be studying, you know, getting in the presence of God, getting being more accurate in my delivery. Yeah, I would like to do all of that. that, that that'd be great. You know, big time preaching. Nice, really, really, really nice car. Sit in the car and let it run while everybody else set it up. Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> that was so funny. That would be great. That would be great. I, I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking that at all. Maybe we could get there. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but how many of y'all sit here at least hear it in Jesus's own voice I must work the works of him that sent me the night is coming that means I, I won't be able to do this at a certain point so we I must work while it is day as long as I'm in this world am I depositing that on the inside of you it feels like you're receiving that so that means I can move on let's look at one more example from Jesus John chapter 17, this is at the end of his life, kind of like Paul, I fought a good fight, I finished the race, he's praying to God, he's literally right to be, his life is about to be poured out, his blood is about to be shed, he's about, they're about to nail him to the cross. And in this last prayer, one of the last prayers that we hear Jesus pray, he says to the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. Will you be able to say that when you get ready to breathe your last at the end of your journey? Or did you live your life for yourself? You lived your best life. Jesus said at the end of his, I glorified you on the earth. I finished the work you have given me to do. So my challenge to you, church, is to let us run with patience this race that is set before us. Amen. Now, there are things that can not only slow you down, but there's also things that can that that can um, take you out of the race. Let's talk about that for a minute, and then I'll finish up. Is that all right? So Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, he said, Let us lay aside things that will slow us down, weights and sins that so easily come against us. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was swimming at, for the championship, um, we would cut all our hair off because we can go faster through the water. And, uh, you know, somebody said, I don't know if that will help. Well, maybe it was psychological, you know. <laughs> All right, never mind, y'all. Go to Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> That's pretty intense. In Galatians chapter 5, there's not only things that can slow you down, but there are also things that can actually take you out of the race. I mean, if y'all know, you can get disqualified or you can even take yourself out of the race. You can actually just stop and give up and quit. So there are things that will slow you down like weights and sins, but also things that will take you out. Let's look at these things. In Galatians chapter 5, the Bible talks about running in different places. Verse number 7, he says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And I would like to say that to many of you that have been born again like myself for a long period of time. But you've kind of gotten stagnant in your walk with God. You remember when you were in every service. You remember when you were involved in multiple departments. You remember when you, would, you, would, uh, you were on fire for God and you would share your faith. But since then, you know, you've kind of cooled off. 
in the Galatians, Paul tells them, you ran well. Uh, and I like to say that, faith family, you were doing so good. You, you ran well. Who hindered you? Who slowed you down? Who, who pulled on you as an obstacle? Who or what hindered you from doing what God called you to do? There's some people you knew when you were born. You remember there was a calling on your life. But you've kind of, you're not really doing anything in that direction. Can I talk to you today? All right, there's three things that will slow you down and even can take you out. In Revelation chapter 2, verse number 4 and 5, God says, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That you have left your first love. Remember when you first got saved. I mean, you first fell in love with God. And Jesus says to this church, I got something to talk to you about. You're not as on fire as you used to be. You left your first love. What do you mean? He goes on in verse 5. He says, remember, don't you remember, therefore, from where you have fallen? You remember how it used to be? He says, repent and do the first works. Somebody say first works. In other words, do what you did when you first, when, when, when Marquita and I first started dating. Well, on the first date, I was talking to her about marriage. You know, because I didn't want to, you know, string her on or wound her. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to know, hey, I'm interested in marriage. Are you? Oh, Pastor Stan, you didn't do that. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. We, we shut the cheesecake factory down that day. Amen. Amen. But you remember back when you were dating, you know, you would give her flowers and go on dates and take her here and do this and all that. Those are the first works. But then now you've been married for almost eight years and you ain't gone on a date in about eight weeks. Come on. That's not me. We just went the other day. Amen. But you know what, you know what I mean by remember the first works? And that's what God wants us to get back in our love for him, in our service for him, in our pursuit of him. Amen. He says, remember, the, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In Hebrews chapter, excuse me, you don't have to go to this, I'll just quote it. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, verse 2 and verse 3, part A, he says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tables that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Somebody say run. And when you talk about running, you're talking about running to win. Amen. What are we supposed to be doing with the vision that God has given us as a church? Holding on to it, hoping that it'll happen. No. He said, write the vision so that he may run. Come on, somebody say run. We're supposed to be jogging. No, not jogging. We're supposed to be walking with no, not walking. We're supposed to be running. That means inconveniencing yourself to spread the gospel, to invite people, to be involved, to serve, to pray, to, to come on, to do that part. He says, I have something to say to you. You've left your first love, you, your first works. Habakkuk says, write the vision, make it plain. Amen. There is a clear vision for us at Faith Family Church. I'm running with it, and I'm challenging you to run with it as well. All right. Glory to God. Three things that will cause you not to finish your race. How about I save that for the grand opening? 
Yeah. Yeah, I got to save it. Yeah, I got to save it. How many of you all were inspired? Hallelujah. There, I believe if you're born again, there's a calling on your life. That calling becomes more express as you get into the presence of God. It becomes more clear. To some, that calling is so clear that you could see yourself involved significantly in ministry. If the church could pay you the salary that you pay, that that you get paid at the job. Is there something in you that would want to serve God in a full-time capacity for the rest of your life? It was like that for me. Some of us have a calling in the workplace to do what it is we're doing on the job. And notice, as we're successful in the workplace and we love God, we become tithers. And that forwards the kingdom. Oh, you can play something softly. I apologize. Um, Oh, think about it. Why do we meet in a school? Why do we set up and break down? We just don't have the resources for our own. How many of you in the last 10 days have seen uh, the construction, the new construction of a gas station somewhere in the city? Well, maybe you don't realize, but all around us, one of the number one points of construction, obviously, obviously beyond housing, in the marketplace, gas stations are popping up everywhere. Well, I guess so. Last year's gas prices, three-something dollars, they got lots of money, right? Churches don't have lots of money. What's the last time you've seen churches pop up in this neighborhood, that neighborhood, this neighborhood, that, building new buildings? You know, in the same rate, community is rising, but the church is behind. Amen. When we discover our kingdom purpose and we realize that we have a calling in the marketplace and we fall in love with God, we realize, okay, I may not be called like Pastor Stan to work for a church and give my life full time, you know, get a great salary and all that good, good stuff, but... You know, I feel like I'm called to do what I'm doing as a doctor or a nurse or, you know, as, as, a, as an educator in, in the school system or, you know, maybe as a mechanic or you name it, you know, in, in, in the marketplace, wherever. But you can run by being successful there and then helping fund the gospel. But for all of us, there's a calling. There's something that we're supposed to complete. Stand up on your feet. Thank you. for, uh, for Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I just run out of time today. I hope for those of you that are online, you enjoyed this message. I only preached one part of it. Come back next week, and we'll minister to you the other part of it, um, because there are things that will slow you down and hinder you from the race that you have to run. It's a real simple message, but it's very important, very powerful, because those are the things that he said to lay aside. Let those things go. But I want you to lift up your hands in this moment, and I want to call you to action. If you're here and you haven't been running like you should have, I want you to pray with me, and then I'm going to lead you in a sinner's prayer if you want to be born again. But for everybody, if you're here, and and that fire that Pastor Billy Joe Watts talked about is kind of dimmed and kind of dull, and you want to rekindle that flame, you want to 
begin to move with a sense of urgency again. If that's you in your heart, while every head is bowed, I want you to raise your hand right now. If you're saying to God, God, I lost my fire. I haven't been running for you. I want you to raise your hand all over. If that's you and you you say, I haven't run for you like I should have been running. I have forgotten my first works. I have lost, I've left my first love. And I come back to you today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand up high. Just between you and God, nobody's looking around. He sees your hand. You can put it down. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Online, mean this from your heart, and God will give you that quickening. He'll put in you that sense of urgency through this in Jesus' name. Everybody pray this out loud. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I receive this word today, and I make a hard decision to run with your vision for my life. I thank you for this message, and I stir up the gift, and the calling on the inside of me. And I say like Jesus, I must be about my Father's business. I must work the works of you who have sent me that I might finish the work. Help me, Father, run with patience, run with endurance the race that is set before me in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory to God. Glory, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't leave without knowing God. Amen. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for you, that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. If that's you and you want to give your life to God, pray this simple prayer. Mean it from your heart, and God will save you right where you are. I want to ask the congregation to help those in person and online to pray, to encourage them, as well as to affirm your faith in your heart. Say this out loud, everybody. God in heaven, I come to you this morning to give you my life. I do believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins, bearing my sins on the cross. They put him in a grave, but I believe he's alive. He's risen. Come into my heart. Save me from my sins. I repent for all my sins, and I accept your offer of forgiveness. I am saved, therefore. I am born again. I am forgiven. And heaven is now my home in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Amen. We've been delighted to have you become a part of our faith family. And when you become family, you are family for life. How many of y'all believe we are family for life? Amen. Amen. Good to see Sister Tina Adams in the house today. Her mom recently went home to heaven. We had her celebration of life last week in in Pittsburgh. I got a chance to go visit with her, praise God, and to be with the family. She sent in a thank you. I'll be sure to read that for for the congregation, for all of us that have been praying for her. But we love you, Sister Tina. We love you with an everlasting love in Jesus' name. Put your hands together for all of our visitors today. Welcome. Glory to God. We are so honored and delighted to have you. I would love to greet you personally. Come back next week. I'll smoke some brisket and maybe I get to shake your hand. Today we got to rush out though. But uh, thank you for coming and we trust that you'll come and keep coming in Jesus' name.